Big Ten Backers Podcast. This is your podcast for Big Ten football or anything college football related. From Jim Harbaugh's shirtless escapades to Brett Billima's hog-sized waistline with Ryan Day's beard dye and anything else in between. Big Ten Backers has the headlines from around the college football landscape. Oh, hey there, Big Ten Backers. This is your host, AJ, with Buckeye Steve. We just call him Top Beef. Grab a beer. We'll put college football in your ear. Let's rock and roll. I got mine. Welcome back, Big Ten Backers. As always, we're going to start the show off with those beautiful, big-ass dump trucks. This is week 12 edition. It's freaking hate week. But before we get into hate week, let's recap what just happened. We had the backers big one. We had number five, Fia, a Husky Phoenix, gets a win and a wet one versus the number 11 Beavers, 22-20. The dogs get it done. Thanks to the work of that strong arm Phoenix. This was a game they were a Vegas underdog in. In the rain, running back Dylan Johnson, a wide receiver, and Dunze put in work on those Beavers. Dunze went seven receptions, 106 yards, and two touchdowns. Phoenix and Johnson slashed the game. Gaps of the Beavers. Johnson had 5.6 per carry and Phoenix 7.3 per carry and a touchdown on the ground and added two more in the air to the previously mentioned Induze. Quarterback DJ had played spectacular at times, helping his team to the opportunity to upset the number five Huskies, but his two turnovers would lead his team to get dog bit. Running back Damian Martinez did what he could, getting 26 carries, 123 yards, and two tutties. Add that to DJ's 53 yards at 8.8 per pop and he you could see how this game got interesting down the stretch. Oregon State's defense was able to shut down the Huskies in the second half, but the gap the Beavers offense left in the first wouldn't be filled. B, this was another Husky thriller. We are guaranteed to get that Husky Ducks rematch, but break this one down for the backers. Yeah, man. I mean, it was a gutsy win. That touchdown on the ground from the Phoenix was something we needed to see out of him. I mean, man, this guy's had every injury known to man. So him putting his body in harm's way, being at risk, is something we need to see. We need to see some more dynamic runs out of the Phoenix as the competition increases. Now you got Oregon coming again. You got the playoffs looming. We need something else out of this offense. And it might be needed from him. You know, just standing in the pocket, not getting touched and throwing the ball downfield with precision and accuracy is one thing. But when the defense starts hitting you in the mouth and you have nothing else to do, sometimes you got to tuck the ball and go. And on this rain cold November day. It was no joke. They had to do it. There were balls all over the ground, turnovers left and right because of this rain. It was slippery, man. But they're showing out. Beavers are slippery when wet. This is a team of destiny, man. I've said it before. I'm saying it again. A team of destiny. Go ahead and put that cock ring on the Phoenix right now. And by cock ring, I mean a crown. This man's Heisman. He's king. Put it on the Phoenix. If you want to crown them, they crown their ass. But they are who we thought they were. Ah, man. I picked Washington to win the Pac-12. I didn't take them in this game. That was a mistake. But these guys were my pick to win the Pac-12. They got a couple of more big games to get it done. But hopefully they do. Let's move on. We had the number one dogs. They destroyed number 18, Tennessee, 38-10. Georgia on the road dominates another AP top 25 team getting three consecutive wins against ranked opponents. Dogs are ready to pound every team in its path to yet another SEC and national championship run. Dogs are on a 28-game winning streak, and they are getting better and better. That is some scary news for Georgia Tech and Bama, who will come calling soon. Quarterback back Carson Beck delivered once again getting three TDs 298 yards 9.9 per pass but that trick play passing TD from wide receiver Dylan Bell to fellow wide receiver Marcus Roseney Jackson stole the show Bell also finished with 90 yards receiving and that passing tutty Marcus the other wide receiver he threw the tutty to had 91 yards himself at a tutty Ooh, those wide receivers balled out son Tennessee came out the gates hot grabbing a 75 TD and grabbing a 7-3 lead early in the first but much like Beeb's battery it wouldn't last the entire interview oh shit man you got me there I usually bring a battery pack for backup because I know my phone's gonna die with all the pictures and the interview and Facebook social medias but this time I was in a rush man I was in LA I didn't know how to navigate that big city I was supposed to have someone there showing me around didn't have that didn't have a place to park I'm supposed to have that too so I found a place to park my battery ran dead 
but let's get back to the game. Let's get back to Georgia. I talked about a team of destiny in Washington. Well, all these dogs are a team of destiny, and they're doing people doggy style. Beck is the man, and if he had any hype from the start of the season, this man would be in the Heisman race right now. He just didn't have that name coming in, but man, this time next year, he's going to be one of the guys on his way to New York. Georgia has peaked as the competitive portion of their schedule has arrived. Now they're a confident bunch. I think they're as confident as they were this time last year. They're curb stopping teams like that American History X style. Beck is the man leading them. It's just so perfect. We thought there was so much parity to the college football landscape because teams like Alabama, teams like Ohio State, teams like Georgia did not have a quarterback that couldn't compete with everyone else. Those strong quarterbacks. Well, Beck is a quarterback, man. I'm not telling you what. He's the best of the bunch of any of those top three. He's got this team rolling, and I would be afraid to play them now or in the playoffs. I don't know if there's a team that could beat them, but we'll see. Hey, that's why we play the game. They're definitely looking scary. It's hard to say that the dogs are getting better every week when they're already the best team in the nation, but everybody's on notice, boy. These dogs ain't playing. Three in a row. Three, Pete. Here it comes. Oh, it's looking like it. We got one more game here in the dump truck session. This is a nice battle for the Sunflower State. We had number 21, Kansas State. They finish in the fourth to beat number 25, Kansas, 31-27. This was an epic battle for the rights of the Sunflower States. Jayhawks would fight to keep the lead in this game, and they did for the most part, except for the fourth quarter when it mattered. Running back Devin Neal would do all he could to help his team, who had to usher in their third-string quarterback, Cole Ballard. Neal would put up 18 carries, 138 yards, and three tutties at 7.7 a carry. Ballard would add 55, but his two interceptions and a fumble would be the difference in this one. It's a damn shame. Wildcats would also depend on their running backs, DJ Gibbons, who took 21 carries for 102 yards at 4.9 a pop, and running back Tresham Ward would grab 63 on 7 carries. The Wildcats defense would be the reason for the win, grabbing those 3 turnovers, including a 2-point PAT defensive conversion. 4 points, Beave. Hey, I said this before at the beginning, third string quarterback at Kansas is not a third string quarterback anywhere else. They just don't have the depth, man. They're, they're a build program. The fact that Bean was able to take over where Daniels left off was kind of amazing. Just once you get down to that third string, there's nothing. They're going to get there. They're going to be a good team. They're a solid team still. Kansas State and that ex-North Dakota State Bison coach Chris Kleinman, they're getting it done. Is he an option for another job this year? Someone's got to pick him up. Both of these coaches are ready for that next level. They're coming from smaller programs, but they've shown if you can get it done in Kansas, you can get it done anyway. Oh, there are definitely going to be some hot names on the market. The biggest victory these two Kansas teams can have is keeping those coaches. And that's going to be a hard, hard task. I said someone's got to pick them up. They're that good. They are. But Beave, we're the Big Ten backers. We break down the Big Ten. We're going to talk about Week 12. We're going to hit on the big games for Hate Week. And we're bringing in some special guests. They're going to help push the backers brand further. But let's get into that segment. Let's break down those Big Ten games. Let's get it on. Big Ten Roundup. Week 12. Let's get to that big on big action. We had the Midwest Corn Fest game of the week. Nebraska would take it to the Badgers in Madison, but the Badgers win 24-17. All hopes look lost for Wisconsin when Nebraska would jump up 14-0 in the first quarter. But then the Badgers responded in the second, grabbing 10 for themselves. Third quarter, Badgers would add another touchdown and take the lead 17-14, but them Huskers would add a field goal in the fourth with four seconds left to tie the game game at 17 and take this one into overtime. But overtime would be the doom for the Huskers. Badgers would grab a tush push TD to take the lead 24-17. And when the Huskers had their shot to advance the game to another overtime, quarterback Chubba Purdy would toss it up to safety Preston Zachman for the Badgers game ending interception. Beave this one turned into an instant classic for the Badgers who just got bowl eligible on Wisconsin. Hey, man, I noticed your tone in that. Let's go ahead and do this first name last, last name first thing and get it over. That's a pretty chubba. Purdy Chubb, kind of like one of the best all-time porn star names. Well, it wasn't Purdy. The only people getting to Chubba, Florida, was Wisconsin fan. And then game over. Man, Owen Bull Fickle in his first year. They pulled it together when it counted the most. Got to give Fickle credit. Future's bright. 
in Madison. Everything's bright except for the sun. But hey, we're in the Midwest, man. We're Big Ten backers. I just got back from LA, so I'm all about the sun. Now you did be, man. Badgers got Tanner Mordecai back. They got Braden Allen back. Ended up being really good for them in this game. Yeah, it turns out when you have your leading producers on offense back, you... <laughs> yeah, who knew you can win games that way? But Beeve, let's move on. Let's go on to the next game. We had number three, Michigan. They survive a scare from Maryland, winning on the road. 31-24. The Wolverines would jump out to a 23-10 lead in the first half, but the Terps put on that drip in the second half and would riz up the Wolverines 14-6 in the third, making it a 29-24 game. Maryland defense would give the offense a shot to shock the Wolverines, but a punt to the one-yard line would set up a safety for the Wolverines, extending the lead 31-24. Maryland was hoping to get one more shot to take it to overtime, but the Wolverines were able to get enough first downs to kill the last three minutes and 30 seconds after that safety. Were these Wolverines looking ahead to the Buckeyes? Were they in hungover mode against Penn State? Or was it a mix of the cheating scandal and all the outside noise that eliminated Jim Hardball from being on the sidelines for the rest of this regular season? Or does Michigan have more troubles? They better get it figured out before these Buckeyes roll into town. It's hate week, Buckeyes. It's hate week, Wolverines. Let's fucking go. We're going to be in Ann Arbor, Beeve, and I'm freaking ready. Hey, man, I got to go back to this. You got to leave it to Talia Tungavailo to turn over a ball when the game is on the line. I mean, every year doing that shit. I thought he would mature every year. I think he's he's just going to get better. That's just a young quarterback thing. He's no longer young. He's at the end of his career. But he can't keep his balls to himself. He's just a teabagging motherfucker. It's never going to change. Now, you want to talk about something interesting going into this big game? Let's get into some stats. All right. Prior to the sign-stealing saga, J.J. McCarthy was a world-beater, man. Everyone was talking about him. He needed to win the Heisman. No one is as good as him. The first eight games of the year, he had a 76.7 completion percentage for 1,991 yards, 16 TDs, and zero intercepts. Add in three rushing touchdowns to boot. The last two games with Harbaugh out and the cheating scandal in full force, meaning the teams had time to change their signs. Michigan was probably no longer using those signs. Connor Stallions is not on the sidelines telling them what to call. JJ now is 19 of 31 attempts for 61% completion percentage, zero touchdowns, one interception, and just 201 yards. So he's averaging 100.5 yards per game. No Heisman talk anymore. He's shit without knowing what the defensive calls are. If he knows where people are lined up, he knows where the blitzes are coming from, he knows the coverage without even having to think about it, he's a world beater. Take that away. He's shit. Let me, I threw out the Purdue game because Purdue really didn't have time to adjust. Michigan was so pompous at that time. I think they were probably still cheating. But JJ, even if you include that game, He had a good amount of yardage, 335 yards, still no TDs, no interceptions. It's not exactly like he was a world beater in that game either. And even with the Purdue game inside factored into that, still 61% completion percentage. Oh, no! We suck again! In the last three games, just a few more yards. That's the only difference. So look at this. Let's deep dive into that. 61% now versus the first eight games, 76.7. That's a huge drop. Huge. Where does that put you in the list of completion percent? Middle of the road, 61%. 76, you're damn near the top, if not the top. That's a huge difference, man. Competition was higher. I'll give them that, but damn. Yeah, speaking of the opponent they got next week and speaking of not looking the part, let's talk about that Ohio State team. Minnesota could not hold the jocks of the number two Buckeyes. Bucknuts win it. Big 37-3. Not much to say than the expected. The Buckeyes were the far better coached and more talented team. Although the Gophers helped show some Buckeye slippage early in the game, only allowing the Buckeyes 13 points in the first half. That Ohio State defense, though, wouldn't give any ground to the Gophers and held them scoreless until the backups were in in the fourth quarter. Ohio State would only allow three third down conversions in this game and would pick up two turnovers in the process of dominating this terrible Big Ten West offense. Man, why can they play offense in the Big Ten West? So freaking sad, man. Beef. PJ Fleck has one more opportunity to get the Gophers in a postseason bowl game. Will he get it done next week? Ohio State needs to get their hairless nuts ready for the game against the Wolverines who've had their way with day. Man, that defense, that D has only given up 
three points in the last two games. Two straight games, three points only. It was against shit competition. Wow. Imagine if Ohio State had played that Michigan schedule. They'd have overinflated defensive stats too. I mean, they could hold everyone to three points if they played that schedule. But look at this. Having Henderson back running wild, helping that O look like there is an identity. Finally, 146 yards on 15 carries for 9.7 yards per carry. Two touchdowns. I mean, he's electric right now. He's coming on strong and he's going to be needed on Saturday. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the big and it's finally around the bend. Number two, Ohio State Buckeyes against probably number four. And, it's, and we just don't get this all, man. This is for everything. This is for pride. This is for the Big Ten. This is for the justice for cheating. This is, of course, for the playoff. And there's plenty of more on this game. Going to come next up. Yes, sir. This is two years in a row that we get the Buckeyes and the Wolverines undefeated. This late in the season to play, this never happens, man. Three times in history, and those three are, those three times have been in the last what twenty years. Insane, man. And two of those the last two years. This this is absolutely outstanding. If you're a Wolverine fan, if you're a Buckeye fan, you better absorb this shit like a sponge. This is what you want. Exactly what you want. Well, let's move on, man. We got to get these rest of these games knocked out. We talked about Michigan. Let's talk about their little brother. Michigan State grabs 10 in the fourth to down Indiana. 24-21. The game nobody watched or wanted. When two of the worst teams in the Big Ten meet in Indiana... For the old brass spittoon, y'all better be careful with that brass spittoon. Mel Tucker around makes me think there's a little bit more than tobacco spit into that thing. Y'all better watch out. But boy, Tom Allen was visibly upset after the Spartans grabbed the go-ahead tutty with a minute 19 left in the game. I think he knows he's going to be looking for employment elsewhere soon. Indiana had more yards and less turnovers than Sparty, but still found a way to lose this game in Hoosier fashion. Tom Allen has really lost it since his COVID year success. Beef, I ain't got shit else on this shit game and these two disappointing teams. You got anything? Yeah, I think you about summed it up with these shit teams. Just a couple of pairs of basketball schools trying to play football, but with no success. Maybe Indiana can save some face by going against those Boilermakers and getting a whoop down. I don't know. And getting a whooping on. I don't know, man. It's not really a fun game to talk. Not really fun teams, but Tom Allen, he was good as but we started talking about those Boilermakers. How'd they do last week? Man, those Boilermakers, they were hot last week. They were cold this week. They couldn't spoil the bowling opportunity of Northwestern. The Wildcats win 23-15. Wow, Beave. Me, you, and many others rode off these Wildcats after what we saw prior to this season. We thought it was all going down the drain thanks to some obscene shower stories of naked nut snaps that led to the firing of their legendary coat, Pat Fitzgerald. Now these Wildcats are 6-5 and five and are going bowling in the postseason, winning three of their last four games. Quarterback Ben Bryant and linebacker Bryce Gallagher have led this team through some ups and downs this season, and here they are. Gallagher would lead that defense that grabbed four turnovers from Purdue. Beef, Purdue had to lean on a backup quarterback Ryan Brown after Hudson Card's injury last week. Warning, life support failure on all decks. Abandon ship. Uh, yeah, who would have suspected after Pat Fitzgerald went out? I thought, you know, Northwestern's probably not that going to be that good. But then the way they started off, I was like, oh, man, this is a dumpster. But guess what? Northwestern's doing it. And they finally broke their pattern of loss, win, loss, win, loss, win with two wins in a row. I thought that was going to last all season, man. This team is a full of surprises from, whoops, surprise, I dropped that soap. To, I'm going bull and the hiring of their interim coach. Northwestern and their community and the Wildcat community, they got to be proud and they got to build a new fucking stadium. That one's garbage. Just let it happen. Get that shit moving. At least we can say someone from the Big Ten West is overachieving this year. No doubt about that, B. From one shower to another, let's talk about those Penn State Lions. Rutgers couldn't handle the late surge of the number 12 Lions. Penn State wins it 27-6. This was a low-scoring affair that would see the score... 13 to 6 heading into the fourth. Then the Lions came alive and racked up 14 points in the fourth to down those nights. Penn State came in this game after losing to Michigan and looking in the mirror at a yet another third place finish in the Big Ten East. And the wounded Nittany Lions took most of the game to get that. We have nothing to play for out of their heads. But when they did, goodbye, Knights. They were waving night night to the Knights. 
Rutgers keeps getting better under Greg Schiano, but there is more wood to be chopped if they want to heat up their role in the Big Ten. The same Big Ten that will be adding four schools with better history than the Knights. Beave, what's your thought on these programs moving forward? Well, first of all, let's go to Rutgers and congratulations to Schiano doing it again. Jersey, man, getting those Scarlet Knights to be relevant again is something Greg Schiano is good at. Great stop for him, I think for a second time in a row and for the program at Rutgers. I think that was a great hire for them. Kind of lucked out. Tennessee being like, no, got it. It worked out. As far as Penn State's concerned, they're perennial number three. But what do you do? Do you fire Franklin and possibly get worse? Sometimes the grass isn't always greener. Things have got to change. They deserve, like you've said before, to be a national title contending team. Everything they have with that stadium that fan for that tradition but why hear it from me let's bring in another new member penn state jerseys what he's at right now follow him on Instagram. he's coming to break it down let's welcome in matt welcome on in matt tell us a little bit about yourself uh, my name is matt i've been a penn state fan for around 30 years uh my uh renamed penn state jerseys uh really uh exemplifies my uh passion penn state football i uh collect the game worn jerseys the players actually wore in the game that's my connection to uh, preserving history and telling the story of the program. Uh, I have over 70 in my collection. Traveled very far, all the way from Hawaii now for, for home games and bowl games. And uh, just a huge fan of the program. Like I said, I've been following them 30 years. It's a uh, big passion of mine. Penn State has some of the best fans in all the world. Happy to be a part of the Penn State fan community and kind of share my thoughts with the uh, rest of the big folks around the, uh, the Big Ten. So let me stop you there. Did you say 70 years? I guess yeah, 70 game-worn yeah, game jerseys. So um, I, in a case of emergency, I can outfit the whole team just in case anything happened with the, uh, the equipment truck. Uh, or if uh, I wanted to wear one jersey every day uh, without doing any laundry, I could go on for, for two months. And I did try that during COVID because things were <laughs> why not a, a little boring. Uh, so why not? So I, I decided to wear one game-worn jersey every day when I sat at my computer and did my work. But yeah, it's, it's my connection to the program, meeting former players and lettermen, you know, showing them their, their jerseys that they wore during, during their time when they played. Many guys are several years removed from playing post-NFL career, and they see that they still have fans, and there's folks that appreciated when they played. Right. Because a lot of these folks miss that social media error where they have 10,000, 20,000 followers like the backup running back does now. And so when you meet a guy who was all Big Ten Conference 10 years ago and when I was younger watching him, he has two or three thousand guys following him on social. It's not as easy as it is for the kids playing now. Um, so they appreciate that. You know, I appreciate seeing that someone, you know, appreciates when they played, the era they played and what they meant because everyone's about, you know, what happened this weekend, right? And not every fan appreciates, you know, the history and the error of the program. Let's get in to this past weekend, Penn State and Rutgers. You got a little breakdown of that? Yeah, I mean, the game went pretty much as I expected, right? I mean, you see a lot of times in college, and, you know, these are our college kids, they're not pros coming off an, an emotional loss as Penn State did at home to Michigan. Oftentimes the following week, it's not easy to get up and get excited as it was playing in Michigan or Ohio State. And and Rutgers, to their credit, has played phenomenally well this year for Absolutely. the talent and resources that they have. Uh, Greg Schiano has did an excellent job now two times now turning around the Rutgers program and, and getting them bowl eligible, which is a remarkable achievement. Having grown up in the North Jersey area, I remember seeing Rutgers go in one in 10 in the old Big East, right? Where you had the likes of like Temple and, you know, playing that conference to be being competitive in the Big Ten is, is quite impressive. And you knew they would put up a good game for a half and, and hang in there. And obviously Penn State had a, a turnover with the change in offensive coordinator kind of earlier in the week, which again, it's not easy for college kids. These aren't professionals there's limited practice hours very limited to get in in a in a short period of time and then to lose their their starting quarterback halfway through the game i thought the offense coordinators which was kind of co-offense coordinators but it seemed like snyder was you know really calling the plays did a really nice job of getting both rebula incorporated in the game really comfortable obviously called a lot of run plays for him they didn't have to, to put it in the air with how well penn state's defense has played really across you know, over the course of the whole year, and they just, you know, just played the game they needed to to get the win and, and move on. It was nice to see Bo get 
uh, a lot of extra reps. And there was some really nice ways that they used him. Penn State had uh, Michael Robinson actually as a um, kind of a, a dual threat quarterback in 2002 when they had uh, Zach Mills as their starting quarterback. They kind of used him in a similar way that they used Mike. Um, what I, or I wish they had a little bit more, but kind of what a different dynamic to the offense that Drew hasn't given them, even though I think Drew's the best quarterback for the team, but they responded well on short notice and did what they needed to do to, to get the win. Absolutely. So you mentioned the changeover. We got rid of that offensive court. Everyone was calling for it. Was that enough for this fan base? Franklin got to go after it. So is it enough for the fan base? I think for the, for the level-headed fans that see the bigger picture, and it's very hard to because we all love our schools and we, we want to win every single year. I, I think it's enough to buy them some time. Certainly the offense was the most glaring issue. The lack of uh, formations, creativity, trying to incorporate Bo, who was you know, a very athletic backup quarterback some way into the offensive game plan. Um, we just didn't see anything overly creative in the Ohio State game. You know, the team ran upwards of like five trick plays, right? And and after the second one, it starts to become frustrating where as a fan, you're saying now we're running the third or fourth trick play, but we're not finding a way to incorporate maybe both Rebula into the offense in some way, or we're not using any, any design passing plays to get Nick Singleton the ball in space or use him in a similar way that Ohio State used Curtis Samuel mm-hmm. several years back. Yeah. So it's like, we, we went this trick play route instead of, hey, let's be a little bit more smart and, you know, calculated how we want to attack the defense instead of, you know, going to this, this place of last resort. And then obviously the Michigan game, you know, the lack of production offensively and, and the lack of different things. I think they tried schematically, you know, really, I, I think put Coach Franklin in, in a position where he, he had to make a change. And I think it became very, very obvious. Sure. Uh, that, the, and the other thing I wanted to touch on was just the overemphasis on the use of analytics. It seemed like a lot of times that was the deciding factor in college in the game. Instead of situational approach mixed with analytics, it seemed like analytics ruled all. So it's a great point. And, and there was a guy two seats behind me at the game when they went for two the first time said, well, the, the book says to do that. And, you know, they should do that. And I countered with no. And the reason why I didn't think they should go for two is because analytics doesn't look at the emotions of the game and momentum. And in college, right. again, these are college players. They're not pros. They don't just shake things off. You just had a drive where Penn State converted two fourth downs to get that touchdown. You're about to kick an extra point, get the ball back at halftime, keep the positive momentum going, keep your young quarterback in a positive state mentally, keep your defense energized, and kick the extra point. At the end of the day, Penn State was going to need their defense or special teams to make a play, either score a touchdown or set up a score on a short field. To me, you wanted to keep them in the game more than you needed to keep necessarily your offense. You see what I mean? Where I think a lot of the mentality is like, we'll keep our offense in the game. I was like, well, we really want to be honest. We needed our defense to make some game-changing play, and we're better off kicking the points and keeping that positive psychological momentum for offense and a young quarterback. Who, again, the offense struggled versus Ohio State. They needed everything positive to happen. Give them a good feeling. You don't hit that, hit that, you know, point there. It's, it's, it's deflating going into halftime after all you did get that touchdown. And to me, that keeping the team psychologically engaged and motivated longer is more important than worrying about the analytics that early in the game. Because I don't think analytics should really come into play unless you're talking about a fourth quarter situation where you're limited on time and you have to make up possessions. Absolutely. I'm with you. Hey, I appreciate you joining us. We have a lot to get to, and I hope we can get you back. We'll call you PSU Matt for now. And uh sounds like PSU Matt may be joining us as Penn State factors for our season, either the end of this year or the start of next year. Hope everything works out with that. But until then, go visit his Instagram, Penn State Jerseys. All right, check it out. Awesome stuff on there. Like you said, 70 jerseys, game-worn jerseys. The real deal. And counting. By the time you get there, there may be 72. Who knows? (laughs) Absolutely. That would be great. Good stuff, man. Keep it coming. Hope to get with you in the near future and do some more. You got it. Thanks so much. Really enjoyed the conversation.
Illinois couldn't hold on late as number 16 Iowa ran away with a win late, winning it 15-13. This was my second game of the season watching these Hawkeyes scoring late in a low fashion for a dub. Although I enjoyed Wrigley Field and Kinnick Stadium, this Iowa team is a hard watch on offense. But that D is a mouthful and easy to talk about. Speaking of that D, they were the first on the scoreboard in Hawkeye fashion, getting themselves an early safety. Illinois would find some early success grabbing the low scoring lead at the half 10-9. But the fourth quarter, the Illini would see it come to an end. And Iowa would come back from four points down to do the Illini. Most fans would be in cardiac arrest watching their team down four with four left in the game, but these Hawkeyes are cardiac immune. They're used to this. They constantly win games late in the fourth. I had an Iowa fan sitting behind me and he's like, it's coming. We're going to get the win. We're going to get the win. It's coming. This is how we do it. But that punt return from Caden Wheaton, he grabbed the 19.5 yards and set up that 30-yard TD run by Caleb Johnson. Beef, you got to tell me, where did Brett Billima go after this game? Hey, man, I think you got to play that clip from your interview. I loved it. He didn't get it when you asked him that question. But once you showed in... Go nuts. Where do you think Brett Billima goes next? Oh, yeah, I know. I, think, I would say Golden Corral. Definitely hit the Golden Corral. Some Asian food in the fucking mall, because they always seem to hook it up with a shit ton of food. Um, wherever the quantities are big, I'd say that's where you find Papilma. Also, you posted a video of the elusive Iowa touchdown. That's fucking classic, man. You were there. And it was. It looked like a great time, man. I don't know. Tell me what you think. How much fun did you have in Kinnick Stadium? Oh, it was a blast, man. You know, the fans were a little bit dry. But Brandon, that's about to come on the show. He helped me have a good time. He got me introduced to some fans. They fed me. They gave me drinks. The true Midwest way, man. You can't ask hey, for more than you that. Know what else was normal about this game? End of the first quarter, three to two. Perfect score for the Big Perfect. No one wants touchdowns in the Big Ten West. But like I said, you got it. That elusive Iowa touchdown. It's on video. You're like Connor Stallions, man. All right, let's bring in your boy. <laughs> I got the signs let's and all, man. Let's bring in your boy. The Iowa Big Ten backer, right? Yeah, Brandon's going to be hosting a new show upcoming for the Big Ten backers. He is going to be the Iowa backers. How we doing, Brandon? Oh, I'm doing good, man. Coming to you live from Hick- Hickville, a.k.a. Nichols, Iowa. It's not really Hickville, but you get the idea. 400 people. I'm doing all right. I'm uh, just uh, I'm kind of looking ahead, not going to lie, to uh, Saturday, the big game that you guys are going to be at. Not really focused on this game on Friday, to be honest with you. And at the end of the day, man, I, I just it's not going to be good. But I just want to win 10 games, but I'm still looking forward to Indy, man. Indy, baby. Indy, Big Ten West has never won it. I don't think it's going to start this year. No, I don't know that he's going to win it next week, but you never know with this defense, even though Coop DeGene is gone for the year, unfortunately, and he's probably going to the NFL. First round pick, baby. Tell me about this game, man. You were in attendance. I came by, came by and got an interview, interview with you. Break down what was going through your mind watching this normal Iowa low-scoring affair. You know, I've been an Iowa fan since I was in diapers, and I don't remember much when I was young, young, but I don't know if you guys remember Hayden Fry. Well, he was a legend. Um, I've seen the bad, but this is nothing compared to how it used to be. And I really wish fans would uh, lighten up a little bit because this ain't nothing and they should know better than this. But with that being said, I was a little under the weather with uh, the brown bottle flu, but not quite throwing up just yet. I was pretty angry. I'm not going to lie to you. I was very angry for 85% of the game. I was like, where is our defense? Why is nobody showing up? But then... I had to stop and think what just happened to Indiana. I mean, granted, Indiana is Indiana. They're a basketball school. Apologize to any backers out there who are Hoosiers. I mean, you're probably thinking I'm right on that, but it's just just my honest opinion. I love Bloomington. But at the end of the day, we look like shit. And we should have probably, I predicted 20 to 10 final score. Uh, It wasn't even close, obviously. Well, I mean... Maybe two points because obviously 15 and 
15 is 28. And I said 30 total points. So did we hit the under? I can't remember what the over under was. Do you guys remember what it was? It was 30 and a half, I believe. And you guys definitely hit the under. Damn. I was honestly thinking about putting some money on that, but I'm glad I didn't. Um, yeah, I, I, Illinois deserves a lot more credit. And I, you know, I spoke to some fans after the game and honestly, I told them to keep their heads up. Although they are going to be playing the rejuvenated Wildcats next week. And that, that's going to be a very underrated game. Keep an eye on that one next week. Um, I believe it's in Champaign. Um, that should be a very good game. Um, Deacon Hill going to Iowa now. Um, Deacon Hill looked amazing. To be honest with you, I know it's Iowa and offense is not our thing this year or was last year either, but I'm seeing some improvement with Deacon. I really think he's taken a step forward. Do I think he'll be our quarterback looking towards the future? No, I do not. Um, I want to say that Big Bad Cade's going to be back. I know I just started talking with you guys now, but kind of ironic, you know, a couple years ago, he uh, beat the living hell out of us and now he's playing for us. It's funny how the world works like that, but um, to be honest with you, I think we would be scoring a lot more points if Cade was back. I really think he would be a huge, huge key to our success on offense. Um, The defense, as far as the defense part of the game, the defense speaks for itself. They just looked incredible per usual. I was a little upset, though. I was really hoping to see a pick or two or three or four like we usually get. Um, it was just pretty much Sac City the whole entire game. And to be honest with you, um, I was very pessimistic the entire game. I just, we couldn't, to me, I didn't feel like our run game was very good. Um, our pass game was more impressive than our run game, which is very, very rare for Iowa football. Um, all in all, man, I just, I'm, I'm thankful we got the one. I'm surprised we got the win from how we were playing the entire game, but I also got to give credit to Illinois for doing their job. Um, obviously had this game circled on his calendar and you can definitely tell. And I don't know if you guys, or if you noticed it or not, but, um, when, um, Illinois walked off the field, I noticed, I was kind of looking at Bielema and I noticed that he was just kind of taking everything in, just looking up into the crowd and kind of, I saw a smirk from where I was sitting. I could kind of see a smirk on his face, but other than that, I'm just thankful we won. You know, that's usually, that's how our victories have been this year. Just thankful and yeah. And and that's his former school, man. Like that's where Bet Bielema went to school. I imagine that's a dream job of his. So when Kirk does hang it up and, and he's still doing good things at Illinois, I'm sure he would love to slide over and, and take over that program. So I can see why he's taking it in, you know. Bold prediction. I think Kirk retires in five years. I was really good friends with his son. So I heard of James Ferentz. So it was Brian. Obviously, we all know him. And I believe is James. And then he has a younger sister. And then it's Steve. Steve's a, uh, I believe he's a football coach for South Dakota the Coyotes, not SDSU, the number one FCS team in the country right now, which I hope they they win again. I love that school. Um, but yeah, so I truly think that um, the next man in line is going to be hopefully somebody not within the Iowa coaching realm. Um, I think they need to try something a little bit different and not just, and unless it's LeVar Woods, then we can talk about that. But I, that's just my bold prediction. I'd say in five years, once he gets that, those wins. Um, LeVar Woods is right. I believe he is our special teams tight ends coach. He is a major, major player in the recruiting game right now. Um, he is, he played, let's see, he was recruited by Hayden Fry in, let me see, he started playing in 98, which was Hayden Fry's last year, and then he played at Iowa until 2000. Um, there's like a, a thing going around right now with football with young coaches, and he's only 45 years old, so he'd be 50 probably when if my prediction stands. So everybody's talking about him possibly taking over. Um, there's another former Iowa player that I'd like to see, honestly but it ain't going to happen. If I had my wish, it'd be Bob Stoops or A. Stoops. But yeah, I'd be okay with that. Mark Stoops. Just somebody, I know for a fact they're going to, with this new AD, they're going to try to stay out of, um, stay out of Iowa as far like any type of relationship with Iowa. They're going to try to do something different. But anyway, hey man, this has been, I hope everything works out. Yeah. Keep coming on. Oh yeah, there'll be more. There'll be Thanks more. for providing some Iowa content. Thank much you. needed. 
Thank you. Iowa's a really underrated fan base in the nation. Especially at night. Great <laughs> Kinnick Stadium's awesome. Especially a night game there. Yeah. I mean, when they stripe out Kinnick Stadium, it's it's a beautiful thing to see. Yeah. Not only is he going to keep coming on, we're going to get him set up with the Iowa Backers podcast. He's going to bring you Iowa football. He's going to bring you some other sports from Iowa to the Backers fans. We appreciate you, Brandon. Thank you. Beef. It's time to trim that landscape. Got the trimmer ready. Let's clean up those ginger balls and get a look at that landscape. Let's do it. All right, Beav. We're in week 12. We had number 22, Utah. They get the litter box treatment from the number 17, Wildcats. And Arizona dumps on Utah 42-18. Arizona has to be one of the hottest three-loss teams in college football. Boy, are they on fire. Oregon got lucky in the pack done not to draw these Wildcats. Wildcats on the Utes early and often grabbing a 28 nothing lead within the first 15 minutes and second seconds of this game. These Wildcats can get wild, boy. Offense, defense, and let me tell you about special teams. Oh my. Anthony Ward for the Cats would grab a punt return block for a TD in the first quarter. Beef. We picked the Wildcats to win, but not like this, man. Yeah, can you say beat down? Noah Fafita, 253 yards, 73 completion percentage, and a touchdown. This guy's playing lights out, dude. Lights out. Started the year as a backup, came in for the injured starter, and it was a surprise. He has this team ranked, starting to play some damn good ball. I shouldn't even say that. They've been playing good ball all year, ever since Fafita came in. Took that team over, put it on his shoulders, and it's leading it to victories. And they're ranked, man. 17th in the nation in Tucson, man. Wasn't expecting that. They are the surprise of the season. Another surprise we have to talk about in the ACC. Oh, boy, do we have another surprise. Number 10, Louisville, dances in a hurricane, defeating Miami 38-31. When I said Louisville would be my surprise team for the ACC this year, I don't think I really meant by this much. But boy, have they made me look good. I ain't looked this good since my high school prom. Man, the Cards head coach, Jeff Brom, is him and should be a leading candidate for Coach of the Year after his team's performance this year. This game was a back-and-forth thriller until Louisville got wild on the Hurricanes in the fourth, adding 15 to the scoreboard. But yet, Miami was able to add three in the fourth to make it a one-score game, but they wouldn't do shit after that beef. Miami held Cards running back Jawar Jordan in check, but running back Isaac Garendo, right? would step right in with ease, grabbing 6.3 per carry and a tutty for himself. Well, once again, Mario Cristobal bucks things up with some terrible coaching calls, burning some timeouts at unneeded time. They had a chance to get that game back at the end, but no timeouts left on the clock to do it. Louisville is hot. Man, they're going strong. Brahm has really got this team rocking at year one. Cards have their man back. He led them once as a player, leading them again as a coach. That's a quick resurgence in year one. All the while, the Hurricanes have their man that once led the Hurricanes as a player. He's back in town, but not with the same results as Louisville's got, man. Cristobal might be in danger of getting a buyout situation going. What do you think? Miami going to get rid of their man? Like I said before, Beeb, he's the kind of coach that can get a girl wet but can't get her off. And it's starting to show in Miami. I don't think he's gone this year, but if he keeps performing like this, it won't be long until he's Jimbo Fisher. It's kind of like status quo, man. Just like they were last year. Just like they were the year before that. And the year before that. All hype, no finish. That motherfucker back there is not real. Man, all these coaches keep leaving that Oregon job. And then they find themselves back home or somewhere else. And man, they fall flat on their damn face. Chip Kelly's about to get fired again. Going to be hard for him to do that after that win. But we'll get to that game later. But man, Dan Landing better listen. All these coaches that leave Oregon, fuck up. Stay home, Dan. Stay home. Let's talk about this next game, B. We had number seven, Texas. They struggle early, but take down Iowa State 26-16. There might be something wrong in Longhorn country. Texas was able to grab six points in the first half, holding on to a 6-3 lead heading into the second half. Texas would start to pull away in the fourth, grabbing 11 points to the Cyclones 9. Longhorns seem to be struggling after their big win in Tuscaloosa, and they just can't get it right since. Texas, the eye test isn't looking great, but at least you can hang your hat on that Bama win. 
But will a committee see it the same way if you are in a chance to get a final spot for the playoffs? Two teams, Texas got the head-to-head, but these two teams are going in different directions and Texas cannot put this shit together. B, what's your thoughts on the Texas struggles? Now, they did lose their best running back, Jonathan Brooks, for the season. And Quinn Ewers is just getting warmed up after missing a few weeks from a sprained shoulder. So that's things we got to think about. For sure. Hey, man. Well, your main man, Ewers, was left out for a few weeks. He's still getting warmed up, like you say. Not quite back to 100%, I don't think, yet. Still probably has some soreness in that arm. That AC separation is no joke. No matter what the grade is, it still hurts slinging that rock. But get him back 100% in time for the conference championship and watch out world. Texas is back. I'm back. Can they get that same momentum that they had when they knocked off Bama? I don't know, but there's a possibility they could even get left out of the playoffs if Bama knocks off the Bulldogs and some other things happen right for one loss teams or undefeated teams in the other conferences going down. Yeah, no doubt about it, B. We talked about Texas being back. Let's talk about who's not. And that was the game you were at. UCLA takes home the victory bell and they brew in the Trojans in the last game of Caleb Williams, winning it 38-20. There I was sitting in Kinnick Stadium with time to kill watching that Iowa offense go two up the middle too many times and I was wondering how the game you were covering was going and I was shocked Beef. I was shocked. I knew the Bruins were capable but damn son 31 to 10 when I checked in the third quarter would spell doom for Kayla Williams and his Trojans as the Bruins would add 17 and a dagger that would end and put an explanation point for Chip Kelly as he states, you going to fire me now, bitches, as I took down the Trojans? What a disappointing end to the Kayla Williams era at USC. Man, they had so much hype heading into this season. And they lost to Notre Dame, lost to UCLA, and now looking at a 7-5 and five record. For all that national championship hype they had, what a train wreck for head coach Lincoln Riley. Beef, you were in attendance to welcome these two to the big. What's your thought on this big disappointment? Hey, man, first of all, I interviewed some fans and they were like, hey, at this point, I don't even know if we're going to make a bowl game. It's that bad. I mean, it was Caleb Williams' birthday, his last game as a Trojan, and those Trojans got busted. I'm talking like just put it on snapback quick. Wasn't even worth it. And I actually had a uh, interviewer tell me that. Don't even open the package. Like, yo, that dude's about to have a baby tonight. It was kind of funny. I mean... In LA, you think Fairweather fans, but they were kind of out pre-gaming real well. It wasn't that big of a matchup like it could be, like it has been in the past. Both of them had multiple losses on the season. USC was projected to be up there in the national championship hunt. UCLA wasn't even rated to start the season, so they really turned it on, got themselves rated, then kind of fizzled out towards the mid to the end of the season once they got in real Pac-12 play or Pac-Done as we call it. But there's something different about being out there, man. There's some Hispanic style tailgates. Those were awesome. They had like mariachi style bands playing at a few of them. Definitely something you don't get to see in the Midwest tailgates. I loved them. My wife is Hispanic and I embraced it. It was awesome. Anyway, I don't think you can fire Chip Kelly. Not after the beatdown you put on your rival. I mean, it's looking like Riley's job is going to be coming under the microscope soon. I mean, you can't go seven and five or Heisman winning quarterback and expect to be paid that big a check that you're getting. I mean, something's got to give. I don't know. I don't know about USC if they're going to put up with it for that long. Maybe, maybe they will. But UCLA, they had far less fans in the stadium, but they were definitely getting more rowdy. They were kicking ass though. They had a reason to be getting rowdy. Unlike the USC fans I saw passed out asleep. Oh man, that picture made me laugh, Beef. I was laughing my ass off. Want to get into those quickies, AJ? Oh, you know I'm always up for a quickie. Let's get into those AJ and B best quickies. Number 14, Oklahoma survives BYU. Sooners, seven-point victory, 31-24. The Tulane Green Wave drowns the owls of the Florida Atlantic crew. Tulane wins 24-8. Number 19, Notre Dame axes Wake Forest. Irish crush it, 45-7. Clemson is the Achilles of the Tar Heels. Tigers, 31-20. Number 6, Ducks goes demonic on the Sun Devils. Oregon dominate, 49-13. 
Cowboys get off on the Cougs. Oklahoma State wins 43-30. to Number nine, Mizzou survives. The Gators chomp. Tigers dub it 33-31. We had some major upsets and a potential playoff changing injury. Star quarterback Jordan Travis of Florida State suffers a season-ending gruesome lower leg injury. Can they look to Ohio State's 2014 title run for inspiration moving forward after losing a star player of this magnitude? I freaking hate injuries. I know they're part of the game, but damn, this sucks for Jordan Travis, Florida State, their fans, and all of college football on a senior night for Jordan. Damn, that was heartbreaking, man. Yeah, I mean, you've seen a lot more of those ankle fractures, tib-fib fractures than you've seen in the past. I mean, the last couple of years, those things are happening left and right. It is because of a hip drop tackle, a new technique that's taught where you kind of just let your body give and hold on for dear life. And as your body gives, it comes down to that leg, oftentimes that back leg that's planted and and all that weight. These guys are bigger, faster, stronger than they've ever been before. Coming down on those, those, oh man, it's just gruesome. I can't even say it. It sounds so bad. Coming down on those bones and just cracking them. It's something that people are starting to take notice of and you might see an illegal tackle out of the hip drop pack. Go look at it. You'll see what I mean. You just drop your hips to the ground and land. Use your momentum to bring down the, the runner. It might be something that's replaced soon, or at least a penalty called on it like the horse collar. But dude, Jordan Travis, after seeing him go down, you got to look at his career stats. Over 10,500 yards of total offense and 97 touchdowns for his career. How do you replace that, man? I don't know that you do. Maybe we'll see something like a Cordell Jones situation where he goes, gets a backup quarterback. You just have to wait and see, see what they do against Florida and see what they do against Louisville in the championship game. Maybe they'll be worthy. Maybe they won't. We might just have seen the end of one of the playoff contenders because of the Jordan Travis injury. Yeah, it sucks to see him go out like that. Let's talk about a team that went out and man, that was a surprise. Tell me about that one, Beef. Oh, man. The Aggies, and not the Texas A&M Aggies, but the New Mexico State Aggies. Not only upset Auburn, but beats the Tigers in a blowout, 31-10. to 10. Ouch, man. You better get that burner phone out, because he's going to need some transfers to come in. First SEC win in program history for New Mexico State. Man, I love it. They were on a Burns When You Pee episode. They were that bad. Yeah, man, that was freaking awesome. Love to see it. Love to see upsets, man. We all love some good upsets. We got a B-E-A And freaking Auburn, man. What a disappointment. Feel bad for the fans, but the rest of us get to laugh it up and enjoy. Ha <laughs> ha, bitches. But Beef, I think that does it for the show. Get us on out of here. Big Ten Backers Podcast. Follow our sponsors, NILFanBoat.com. Oh, no Midwest goodbye today. Yeah.